0: You are listening to the Sermons Podcast of First Baptist Church, Mount Washington. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7, we're going to look at verses 7 through 13 this morning. There was a rumor going around in the first century about the Apostle Paul... Uh, Paul's gospel message, that his gospel message was trying to destroy or set aside the Old Testament law of God, uh, the law given to Moses. You might just think when we say that word law, just for simplicity's sake today, think of Ten Commandments, think of the moral law of God. And the rumor was that Paul's message was that salvation was by grace alone through faith alone, that he was setting aside that law, that, that salvation, um, that, that the law was being cast aside. And so Paul was being accused of that. And so part of what Paul is addressing here is some of those who are thinking uh, in those terms. In verses 1 through 6, if you were here last week, you remember that Paul told us that we died to the law, that we're no longer... Uh, in an illustration married to it but that we belong to Jesus Christ but it left the question what is then the purpose of the law uh, if that is the case that's Paul's point here in these verses Romans 7 verse 7 we read this what then shall we say that the law is sin by no means yet if it had not been for the law I would not have known sin for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said you shall not covet but sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment through the law in other words it produced in me all kinds of covetousness for apart from the law sin lies dead I was once alive apart from the law but when the commandment came sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, killed me. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteous, and good. Did that which is good, then, bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. Let's pray. Lord, as always, we come uh, seeking your help to understand your word better. Your word is life. It is life-giving. And Lord, we want to know it, and we... Uh, want to know you better, Lord, through it. And so we pray for your help in this today. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see and understand and and that, that we might be transformed, changed by it, and then live it, Lord. We pray for your help in this today. And I pray that you would use me as your servant. I pray that you would increase and I would decrease and your word would go forth. And I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 1 verses 1 and 2 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Psalm 19, verse 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Psalm 119, verse 18 says, Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. And it goes on, Psalm 119, verse 97, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Was Paul wrong when he said we have died to the law? That we're no longer under it? Were, were these people, the, the psalmists that we re- read here, were they just not Christians? Were they misinformed? in in one sense you can understand why people in paul's day were struggling with some of this uh, and accusing paul as they were because paul was saying some radical things the the gospel is a radical message how can one be no longer under the law but under grace How, how can we have somehow died to the law And yet somehow, as has been reflected here in the Psalms and other places, somehow love the law and want to uphold the law even. And Paul has mentioned this already in Romans 3, that we uphold the law, he says. It's a paradox that Paul is trying to communicate uh, in these verses, but it's precisely what he is saying. In order to keep the law, we must die to the law. And belong to Jesus Christ. How can that be? You can hear some of the tension in Paul's opening words about this change that's happened in us. Those who were saying in verse 7, what shall we say? That the law is sin? Is this something bad? Are we to cast aside the law of God? To which Paul responds, by no means. And again, the sense is that this is to completely misunderstand the gospel. Now that we are Christians, he's been arguing to us, we have a radically different relationship to the law of God. We are, he's already told us, no longer under it. We are no longer, that is, under its penalty. We are no longer under its dominion. It is no longer our slave master in christ we now belong to him he says something has happened though in this something has happened in in us in our hearts when we came to know jesus christ as our lord and savior listen to how the prophet jeremiah described the new covenant in christ looking forward from the Old Testament to Jesus. He writes about this new covenant in Jeremiah 31. God says, I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. The law has no power to change us. Only God can do that, right? And that's exactly the change that happens to us when we come to christ he radically changes our hearts we have been delivered from the law so that now he says we can live in joyful obedience to it it is a glorious paradox but it is exactly It's critical that we understand the difference in what has happened to us. As long as we are under the law, we are not free to serve Jesus Christ. But once we are under grace, our hearts have been changed so much that we love the law all of this leads to the question and, and again the struggle what is the role of the law then what, what was all the point of the old testament and the law of god if it doesn't save us it has no power to do that and it doesn't sanctify us then what does the law do and what is this process and that paul is talking about this change in, in us we notice several things in this text that he teaches us about what the law does first the law reveals sin it reveals sin that's what he says what shall we say then verse 7 that the law is sin by no means yet if it had not been for the law i would have not have known sin for i would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said you shall not covet left to ourselves we would never naturally think ourselves to be sinners before god at least not very big ones anyway Uh, think of genesis chapter 6 verse 5 as an example this is before the flood of noah the lord it says saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil Continually. Would any of ourselves ever think that way about ourselves? Would any of us? And yet this is how a holy God sees a sinful humanity like us. Paul has already emphasized this, haven't he? Similarly, Romans chapter 3, verses 10 and 12. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. But no one believes that unless god has revealed it to them convicting them of the sin and the way that god has designed this is that the law of god was given to us to label our sin to reveal it to expose it in us there's a fascinating and sad story in the gospels where we see this very vividly you may remember the story maybe you've heard of the story Of the rich young man who came to Jesus he comes to Jesus in Mark chapter 10 verse 17 and he says good teacher what must I do to inherit eternal life and you remember Jesus doesn't say to him put your faith in me he says to him this you know the commandments do not murder do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. He, he shared with him the law. If you perfectly obey all of them, you will have eternal life. And astonishingly, you remember what the young man says, Mark ten twenty. he says, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. In other words, give me something else because I've obeyed all of these. Perfect. I'm not a sinner at all. And so what does Jesus do? He gives him another new commandment, right? No. He actually reminds him of an old commandment. He just uses different words to explain it. He basically says, if you've kept all of these commandments, then you won't have any problem doing this, he says. Mark 10, 21, you lack one thing go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me and disheartened by the saying he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions you understand what jesus was doing with that young man was what the law was designed to do it was revealing to him his sin his shortcoming before god isn't it interesting here that Paul uses the tenth commandment, the same as Jesus did of coveting, Not thou shalt not covet, as an illustration right here in Romans 7, noting at the point uh, at which Paul himself had come to the realization of his own sinfulness before God based on this law, this commandment, thou shalt not covet. We know how Paul thought of himself before his salvation. Philippians 3 tells us by his own testimony, Paul thought that he was a very moral man. He was a very good man. He was going around at that time. He was hating Christians and killing some of them. But he was devout in law-keeping, in the moral law. According to Philippians chapter 3, verse 6, Paul thought that he was faultless. He was blameless. He's just like the rich young ruler, uh, if you will. It was only as the weight of the law began to work on him that Paul saw himself as a sinner. And conviction came to him on just this, this point on coveting. It's interesting. Of all the Ten Commandments, Paul could have selected this. He selected this one. Partly because of his testimony, but I think also partly because it's, this was the one commandment of God that was focused solely, really, on your motivation, on your heart. Coveting something is an internal act, isn't it? It's not an external act. It was as if Paul was saying, When I realized the law of God has to do not just with my actions, but even with my attitudes, like lusting for something I don't have. I I realized that all of my self righteous acts were worthless because I was filled with these sinful desires. That's true conviction of sin, isn't it? It's not just your behavior that's sinful. It's your heart. This is what Jesus was communicating to the rich young man. The only way a person's heart can be changed is by divine transformation. The law of God was intended to stimulate that in you, to reveal sin, to bring you to conviction, to help you understand your need before God, that all of the inclinations of your heart are tainted by sin, and you need His salvation. You say, how is this important and relevant? This is usually important and relevant because people will justify themselves all day long. It's in our nature. I'm not so bad. I'm a pretty good person. I mean, I can look at the Ten Commandments. I don't think I've really broken any of of those. God wouldn't send a good person like me to hell. I try really hard. I'm better than my neighbor down the street. And if you look at the outside, you might say, they are really fine people. Oh, my neighbor, he's a really good guy. I mean, he would give you the shirt off his back, and he would help you if your car broke down, and they bring cookies, you know, or whatever this time. And, and they're really good people. They're good citizens. And here's what Jesus would say. From God's perspective, you are like a whitewashed tomb. Which outwardly appears beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. That's our state before God. The law reveals not just sinful actions, but sinful hearts. Another thing the law does, according to Paul here, is that it provokes more sin in our lives. It's kind of odd, isn't it? He says in verse eight, but sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, through the law, produced in me all kinds of covetousness for apart from the law sin lies dead now paul doesn't mean there he's not saying that sin doesn't exist apart from the law but he's simply saying that until you see the law you don't understand that you've broken it here's what happens the law provokes us it arouses us i thought about an experiment today and i don't know if it would have went well or not because you all are intelligent people but i thought what if i painted the wall over here and then i put a sign on there that said wet paint don't touch and i put a camera up to see how many of you would touch it just to see if it was wet there's something about the law or the commandment that arouses sin in us. And the problem is not with the laws, no problem there. It's in our hearts, isn't it? The biblical illustration of this, another, is Genesis chapter 2, Genesis 2 16 and 17, where God says to Adam, You remember, in the garden, he says, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. God had given other commandments to Adam he put the garden in his trust he told him to tend it to keep it to work it to exercise dominion over creation he told he gave commandments to Adam and Eve to multiply to be fruitful you can eat of any tree in the garden but of the knowledge of the of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat he says for in that day you eat of it you shall surely die you understand as soon as god says that, that 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 tree became the only tree they really wanted to eat from satan comes along and he says what kind of god would withhold you withhold from you the good tree that wasn't true, but they believed him. It's how a lot of people think today. All of us, in fact, in our nature. They don't understand that, that the God who gave us his law is so kind and so gracious and so good. He's so gracious even that he gave his only son that we might have forgiveness and fellowship with him and eternal life. And yet they hear all of that and they say, God is so restrictive, isn't he? all of these moral laws uh, that he's given us he's trying to kill my joy he's trying to keep me from pleasure and so instead of turning to him they rebel against him more and more and you see in a sense that the law provokes more sin in us the problem is not with god again and it's not with the law but it's with our sinful hearts right Ferguson reminds us of a very old story from uh, a Christian a long time ago, St. Augustine and his book, Confessions. He tells about a time when he was 16 years old. And he went to this orchard that was owned by a neighbor. And uh, he stole some pears from that orchard. And in later years, he became very reflective about this. He kind of analyzed it, what was going on in his mind and, and his heart at the time. And he writes this. He says, actually, he says, the pears that we had in my own backyard were better tasting than the pears in that orchard that I took from. Far better, he said. He said, here's this, what he says. We didn't steal them because they were juicier or bigger. The only reason we stole them was because they belonged to somebody else and we weren't supposed to have them. And then he says, the pleasure lay not in the taste, but in the sin. That's how we are in our sinful state. That desire to steal was awakened by the prohibition not to do it. That's what Paul is saying. The law provokes sin. It shows us how strong it is in our, on our lives, how sinful we really are. Notice it says it released on all kinds of covetousness in him. He recognized it. And at that point, you see, sin will either harden you toward God, you will keep going, you will put your fist and you will keep going in that direction away from him. Or it will bring you, thirdly, uh, to condemnation for sin. Or what we might call Boyce calls, perhaps even better. He says it will bring us to an end of ourselves. It brings us to the end of ourselves. This is to Paul's testimony, verse 9. He says, I was once apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died the very commandment that promised life proved death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. Now, don't get lost in the language of what Paul is saying. He's speaking about a time, again, the time in his life when he thought he was blameless. He thought he was doing everything that you know, a good person would do, and there couldn't be much wrong with him at all, or couldn't, God couldn't look at him in some other way. God, God he, he was doing everything that he knew to do in the law. And Leon Morse puts it, that he, he, he was alive in this, Paul was alive in this sense that he had never been put to death as a result of the condemnation of the law. But then, You see, the commandment came, and it's like there was awakening in him. All of a sudden, through the conviction of the law of God, Paul realized how sinful he was. He knew what the law said, thou shalt not covet, but it had not begun to understand it. It was only when when he realized he was guilty of having broken it, that God was convicting of them, and that actually the desires that he had had manufactured that he wanted to keep the law. Actually, he wanted to break the law. It produced all kinds of covetousness, desires in in him. He saw how hopeless his condition was, and by his own testimony, it left him undone, dead, killed, and most importantly, ready to receive Jesus Christ as his Savior. The Puritans used the law of God very well to awaken people to their sinfulness and their need for a Savior. Some of you have read Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan, one of the Puritan writers. And at one scene in that story, Christian, the main character, is taken into this large chamber which represents the human heart. And the room is just full of dust, which symbolizes sin. And then there's this man who appears with a broom, and he represents the law. And he starts to sweep and he stirs up so much dust in the room that Christian is almost suffocated. He almost dies because of all of the dust and the dirt that's flying around. This is what the law does. It's like a broom that stirs up sin with the the good intention of enabling you to see what a sinner that you are and what a Savior that you need. This is Paul's answer to, is the law sin? It, it, are, are you kidding me, he says? Verse 7, if, I, if it weren't for the law, I wouldn't have known sin. But even more so, he wouldn't have been ready for the Savior. So notice what he says in verse 12. So the law is holy. And the commandment is holy and righteous and good why because it it does exactly what god intends for it to do right it reveals sin it provokes it it brings us to an end to ourselves so that we're ready to hear about the savior jesus christ to clarify paul adds another comment verse 13 he says did that which is good referring to the law did that bring death to me in other words was it the law that killed me no by no means he says it was sin It was sin producing death in me. The wages of sin is death, right? Through what is good, the law, in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful. We might become sinful beyond measure. The main question or application I think this text leads us to is Has this happened to you? I think there may be a whole lot of people like the rich young man, and perhaps even like Paul before he was saved, like the rich young man who came to Jesus, and they think of themselves as very decent people, very moral people, um, by the world's standards. They, they think that God should be happy to have them in heaven because they're not as bad as many of the other people walking around the planet. And that God should be happy because of all of their good works. And and I just want to emphasize to you, if you are thinking that way, you have completely misunderstood both the law and the gospel of Jesus Christ. You may not feel that today. But the law is condemning you right now, the Bible says. But you think everything is okay. The reality is you are perishing at this very moment. Think of what Paul says in verse 11. Sin has seized you, and notice the language, it has deceived you. Don't you see that to think this way, you have been brought into a form of law-keeping for your salvation? You have done exactly what the law was never intended to do. You've turned it in and said, this is a checklist for me to get into heaven. If I can do all of these things and do them well, my good works outweigh my bad, I will somehow get get to heaven. Sin has tricked you into believing a lie that is not in the Bible. That you can somehow do enough, you can never do enough to be saved. Hear this, the law of God was never meant to save you. Jesus came to save you. Amen? It was never meant to be a measuring stick so you could compare yourself to others and think more highly of yourself. It's always been to reveal your sin and to bring you to a point of your need for a Savior. And I would just ask you, has this dawned on you? This is so important in many ways and applications, but even in our evangelism in the life of the church, there is no evangelism of the gospel without helping people to understand their sinfulness before God, right? You have to start there. Has it dawned on you? Even if you're the most moral, upstanding citizen that the law of God condemns you before God, Jim Boyce brings an illustration, I think, that helps us here. It's the story about a man named John Gerstner, who was a retired professor many years ago at the Pittsburgh Theological Seminary. And he was preaching one one Sunday, and he was preaching from Romans, and he was preaching on the law of God, and uh, he, he was expounding it powerfully. And after the service, this woman met him in the back of the church, and she said to him, Dr. Gerstner, you made me feel this big in your sermon. To which Dr. Gerstner replied, ma'am, that's too big. That's way too big. Don't you understand that that much self-righteousness will take you to hell? Hear that, friend. Hear that. Just one thing that you lack, Jesus told the rich young man. The law reveals and provokes sin. It condemns sin. But Jesus Christ can save. By his righteousness, not yours, by his righteousness alone we are saved. Because here's the good news of the gospel. Jesus Christ came, and he kept the law of God perfectly on your behalf and my behalf. And then he died to pay the penalty of all of the law-breaking that you and I have done. That's the gospel. Won't you hear that today? Won't you believe that today? Receive his righteousness. You come to him in faith And He gives you His perfect righteousness. That is our only hope. To be saved. Now for those of us who have trusted Christ, this strange and glorious thing has happened to us. Yes, Paul's been describing it from lots of different angles. We died to the law. We were no longer married to it. We belong now to Jesus Christ. But in doing this, our hearts have been so dramatically transformed that this law of God and that we once were condemned by, and we once despised, and we love to rebel against, that something has happened to us so radically in salvation that God has now wrote His law on our hearts. He has done something for us that we could not do for ourselves. He has transformed these rebellious, stubborn, dark hearts to now turn into people who can say with the psalmist, Oh, how I love your law. I love your law. We look around today, we see how people are wrecking their lives because they're going against God's law but our hearts have been changed. And we realize how privileged it is to have God's law and to know His law and to live His law and to know that He's our Heavenly Father and that He's provided these loving directions for our lives. As Jesus said to us in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, He said. We want to obey Jesus now because we love Jesus. We belong to Jesus. We've been changed by Jesus. This is the gospel. This is the power of God and the salvation. Amen? The Holy Spirit giving power for us to love and to live the law. And as we grow as Christians, we grow in our sanctification by this relentless pursuit of obedience. Obedience to God's Word, to the words of a, verse 12, holy, righteous, and good God whose law is just like Him, holy, righteous, and good. So, the application for us today as Christians is, are you joyfully giving yourself in faithful obedience to His Word, Is this desire as a fruit of transformation, is it in you? Are are you giving yourself in this direction? If we've been truly changed, we will not be saying things like what what they're saying here in in Romans 6 and 7. Well, can I go on sinning so that grace can abound? What are you talking about? Oh, can I just do away with the law of God? What are you talking about? Don't you realize what has happened to you, Christian? What a great song of response we're about to sing this morning, and it's one that expresses uh, clearly the, the testimony of someone who has died to sin and to the law, who has been raised to walk in newness of life. Give thanks to God today as you sing, and if you know Him, give thanks to Him as you sing this. That this is your testimony. And then the last verse of the song is a great prayer of commitment. And I hope that you will sing this in the, as well in the power of the Spirit. It says, Now, Lord, I would be yours alone and live so all might see the strength to follow your commands could never come from me. O oh, Father, use my ransom life in any way you choose. And let my soul forever be my only boast is you. Hallelujah. All I have is Christ. Is that your story today? Father, we thank you for your word. Please help make these things clear to us today. And we pray certainly for our friends and neighbors who might be here listening to this today. Who... Perhaps have been mistaken, Lord, greatly. Thinking that by keeping the law and doing good works, that they're somehow going to save themselves. Open their eyes to see Jesus today. His cross, His perfect life, His sacrificial death. That they would look to Him as their Savior and Lord.